Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of the QB Squared Podcast. It's been a long time, I believe three weeks since our last episode, but today it's Friday, November 17th, 2023, about to head into Thanksgiving break here. Excited to get at you with a new episode. As always, I'm your co-host, Dylan Hale, joined by Chad Martini. Chad, what's going on? Happy birthday. You are now 21. You are a year older than the last time we filmed. How are you feeling? feel great, man. feels really good to get back, get on the mic, and uh, talk some ball, talk some football, talk some NBA. Really happy that the NBA season's going. Kind of have something to watch every night now, which is Absolutely. always a fun thing to do. So, uh, yeah, excited. Yeah, I'd say we're entering the prime of the QB Squared podcast season. You know, as we get into the late, meaningful NFL games and the NBA season picks up, just so much content to bring at you every episode, and we're fired up to get talking to you today. Uh, what I'm not fired up about, however, as you all probably anticipated, was that the last time we spoke, it was the Jets' bye week. They were 3-3 three and three coming off their biggest regular season win in a long time against the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and everything was feeling great. They followed up that with a miracle win against the New York Giants, getting to 4-3. and three. But now they're a 4-5 and five team, and it's sort of a bit of a tire fire right now uh, in New Jersey. The, the Jets have really been struggling as of late. They've scored one touchdown since we last spoke. So in, in the last month, the New York Jets have scored one touchdown, and that touchdown wasn't anything crazy other than the absolute beast that is Brees Hall, who took a check down slash screen pass 50 yards to the house, and the Jets only touched down against the New York Giants. So the defense has been solid. We know this is a great defense. We know this is a championship defense, <clears throat> but the offense is really what's struggling as of now. And I, what we're going to talk about first on the show today really is just what's going on offensively with the New York Jets. Is it Zach or Hack? You know, Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator. Um, what I'm looking at, especially watching Sunday night's very disappointing loss against the Las Vegas Raiders, I mean, play after play, it seemed like every good play the Jets had offensively, you to look around for the laundry on the field and you would find it because there was penalty after penalty, like two touchdowns called back, C.J. Uzama on a handful of holes, so just a lack of discipline there. Offense that's really struggling to come up with explosive plays. Obviously, the offensive line is banged up. And then Zach Wilson, who's actually been solid in, in, a, lot of his, in a lot of his drives and appearances with a brutal interception on the last drive completely telegraphed the pass um that was a very costly interception that essentially sealed the game until tyler conklin batted down the hail mary that many think garrett wilson would have caught so chad i mean i'll leave it open to you what's what do you think is really going wrong or what what can you look forward to or turn around for this offense uh, i think it's the coaching and the lack of explosive plays i think um i still think hackett's putting the offense in a position where they could make big plays, get the uh, drives going. I mean, Jets Twitter would agree. I think every possession looks like the Jets start out with run, run, and then a pass. And it if they do get one first down, it probably stops after that. But if they don't get a first down, it's really obviously going to be a three and out. Um, I mean, I'd like to see Zach Wilson get on the run a little bit more, move the pocket a little bit more. Uh, and, I mean, teams are just zeroing in on Garrett Wilson now. Garrett Wilson can only do so much as the only really – big threat on the offense. I know they have Brees Hall too, but he hasn't really got going in the past few games in the run game. So I, I just, it will never happen, but I, I, don't, I, I feel like I sound selfish saying this, but I would like to see Hackett gone. And I know putting it all on Hackett isn't great, especially with how Zach Wilson's been. And I mean, like you said, he's been doing good, but I mean, good isn't enough. This offense is a terrible offense. They have the PFF number one graded defense in the NFL right now, and they're just wasting it. 
And at this rate, honestly, in my opinion, I, even if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, I don't think he's going to come back because if they continue to play like this on offense, they're not going to be in playoff contentions. It seems like the Dolphins are slowly and slowly running away with first place in the AFC East right now. And, uh, I mean, the Bills don't look as great as usual, but there's, at the end of the day, they still have Josh Allen at quarterback, Diggs at receiver, and a pretty solid defense, so you can never really count them out. And then, I mean, the Jets, like we said, number one defense in the league, but offense that can't get going, the offense that Greg Zerline is probably their number one scorer right now by a long shot. I mean, you can't really expect too much uh, big things later on in the season, especially when you get into January and February. Yeah, we'll get into Buffalo and Miami in a second. Um, but when you really look at this offense, it was it's clear to everybody that it was built around Aaron Rodgers, right? They even brought in his coordinator from Green Bay, Nathaniel Hackett. They brought in all his old guys, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, and they, you know, obviously he suggested that they pick up Dalvin Cook, who has not looked like Dalvin Cook this season. I feel like whenever I'm watching a game with other Jet fans and Dalvin runs out in the field, we're all like, are you serious right now? You're taking a carry away from Brees Hall, which is just ridiculous to say because, I mean, Dalvin Cook was probably like a top 10 fantasy drafted running back in the past few seasons, and now he's like dreaded when he appears on the field for the Jets. So, I mean, this offense that is catered for Aaron Rodgers is really not looking great with Zach Wilson. I would love to see more creativity and really trust in Zach Wilson from a, from a play-calling perspective from Hackett. I mean, when I look back at the time our offense was the most successful this whole season, I think it was against the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday Night Football when they started off down 17-0 and then really lost on the last few plays of the game. And what, to me, what happened in that game was they gave the keys to Zach Wilson. They said, you know what, if we lose, we're going to let... We're going to lose by letting Zach Wilson take over the game. Um, and really, they just let him throw the ball a ton of times. He got loose. I, I remember them coming out in the second half with a seam ball to Conklin and then following it up with a few more deep balls down the field before Zach threw a touchdown to Lazard and ran in for the two-point conversion. And at that time, it was like, if this offense could be this good, forget great. If they can be good like this, this Jets team can go in the playoffs and get Rodgers back. And I just I haven't had that same amount of hope in recent weeks. And I think, as you mentioned, Chad, a good amount of it is due to the fact that these coaches have really been letting this team down and Hackett is not letting this offense be creative. But with that being said, you know, at some point you can't just not blame the quarterback. This Jets offense is abysmal. Um, and Zach Wilson, you know, he is a common denominator in a lot of the offense's woes, especially when you look at the production from guys like Joe Flacco and Mike White in recent years who have just seemingly done more with this offense than Zach Wilson has. Zach definitely has the talent, though. We saw that no-look pass the, uh, on Sunday night, a lot of big-time throws down the stretch, but and that drive, obviously, against the New York Giants. But I think his leash is starting to shorten. I mean, uh, the pressure of Rodgers coming back starts to grow and seeing what other guys in his similar position are doing. Like, Josh Dobbs comes in on three days' notice and wins two straight huge football games for the Minnesota Vikings. Zach Wilson's been in the program for almost three years now and is not doing that. So, looking ahead, however... Unfortunate enough to be able to go to Buffalo on Sunday to see this Jets team play, I mean, to put it simply, a must-win football game against the Buffalo Bills. Bills are favored by seven at home, despite their they, they've been struggling as well. They're only 500 right now. Um, in terms of the probabilities of this game, it, I've, I read that if the Jets win this game, their chances of making the playoffs are close to 50%, around 45, and it drops all the way down to 13% with a loss. Similar for the Buffalo Bills, so... This is as big a game as you can remember in the regular season for the Jets. Not making me confident that Garrett Wilson is questionable, although I'm hearing that he will play. Um, but really, this Bills offense, who we've thought has been great in the past, is really struggling. Turned the ball over, I think, five times against Denver the other night. Um, but both teams are hungry. What are the Jets going to have to do to win this game, Chad? 
And they're gonna have to they they're gonna have to put the ball in the end zone. I mean that's obvious, but it's not like the Jets haven't been putting points up. The only problem is their points have only been field goals. So yeah. like like three points on a drive isn't gonna win them a game this week. Um I mean, I, I'm confident in the Jets defense. They've made Josh Allen not look like the Josh Allen we know the past few times they've played. Um, but, yeah, they're going to have to put seven points on in at least two to three draws. I mean, I, I remember I watched the game on, what was it, last Sunday against the Raiders. And going into it, I said to myself, I was like, the Jets need to score at least two offensive touchdowns. And I, I was going to, like, say something or tweet something about that. But then I was like, that sounds even crazy to say. Like, why would someone, like, have to say that an offense has to score two touchdowns against the Raiders. Like, that's just, just that should be expected. And, of course, the Jets couldn't even get that done. So now I'm asking for three against the Bills in Buffalo. Like, I feel like I'm asking for a lot. But, I mean, that's what's going to need to get the job done. I mean, I was at the game last year when the Jets played at the Bills. And, I mean, they played them really well. They, they fought. They fought to the last minute. But the only difference was they had Mike White at quarterback. And Mike White played free. I mean, he was getting killed back there. He took a shot to the ribs, went down, went out. Flacco came in, came back out on the field. I swear it was like we were at MetLife, how somehow the Jets were able to um, outperform the Bills Mafia when Mike White came back on the field, but they couldn't get it done. And that was with Mike White, who's made this offense look so much better. So I'm going to sit here and say I don't have a lot of hope for the Jets. I said that last time against the, when they played the Eagles, so maybe it's a good sign that I'm saying that, but... The Jets are going to need a very big performance from Zach Wilson. And uh, I'd say a similar performance, if not a better one, than what we saw against the Chiefs. Because if not, I think the Bills have a redemption game coming right now. They said a tough loss to the Broncos. Um, yeah, the Jets really need to find a way to turn it around. This is the time they have to do it. Yeah, talking about that Chiefs game, the New York Jets offense has not scored two touchdowns since October 1st, over a month and a half ago, and that was in that Chiefs loss which is just pretty unbelievable to think about how much this defense is carrying this team and how bad the Jets are in the red zone. Because Greg Zerline is probably having a career season right now, but that is not necessarily a bellwether or a teller for how the team is going to be. So the Jets, I mean, offensively, the struggles we cannot emphasize enough. Um, I'm hoping the defense continues to turn the ball over. I mean, turn, turn Josh Allen over and James Cook and his fumbles and all that because really that's what the Jets' offense is going to need. It's a shame that this Jets' defense has to carry week after week, but this shame is the reality right now, and the New York Jets are going to have to have short fields offensively in order to create points because you can't really count on that offense on these 75-yard drives to go score points. So uh, it's a big game. I actually think it's a winnable game for the Jets, and hopefully they come out hungry because they got this game and then they got Miami next week, which are probably is, is the two biggest the t- biggest two-game stretch of the Jets season. So, obviously, we'll be watching that one Sunday and really praying that this offense finds some luck going forward. Um, on a better note, looking around the NFL, um, I remember our first podcast episode this year, I warned you about C.J. Stroud and Tank Dell and what that duo could be. Um, forget the duo for now. My take is that C.J. Stroud belongs in the thick of the most valuable player conversation in the NFL. The Houston Texans, who were a miracle away from being the first overall pick last year, obviously took Stroud with the second pick, are currently 5-4. And And these aren't five patty cake wins either. They've beaten the Bengals, Jacksonville Steelers, Saints, and Tampa Bay. Most recently, obviously, against Cincinnati on Sunday. Without their star receiver, or not star, number one receiver, Nico Collins, they were down on the road against Joe Burrow and the Bengals, which is nearly impossible to beat those guys when down. And C.J. Stroud throws 350 uh, passing yards and wins them the game in 
uh, Cincinnati, which is crazy. He's second in passing yards in the league, only has two interceptions. I just can't really. It feels like every other episode I'm talking about C.J. Stroud, and really he has deserved it up to this point. He is a budding superstar in this league, and I believe that if this continues, you can't have an MVP conversation where the name C.J. Stroud is not brought up because to have this team in the playoff picture at 5-4, and four, being the teams they are, um, it's just really unprecedented. And they got a pretty easy game against Arizona this week. They'll play Jacksonville at home, who they demolished on the road earlier this season. Uh, then the Broncos, and then, of course, the, the New York Jets. So if he can get this team to the playoffs, which as of now, like I mentioned, they are, it would really be one of the more remarkable rookie seasons in memory. I've just been beyond impressed with C.J. Stroud, Tank Dell, and what that offense has been able to do. D'Amico Ryans as well. He'll probably be in the thick of the coach of the year conversation, but... We didn't think in late November we'd be talking on a podcast about the Houston Texans, and here I am talking about them. I just really wanted to tip my hat and just really honor C.J. Stroud and what these guys have been doing. Yeah, no, he's, he's been great. Um, not take anything away from him, I think the only reason he really could be in the MVP conversation right now is because there isn't really a standout performance by... It's, I hate that's MVP award. It's the best quarterback award. There isn't really a quarterback that's standing out above the others. I mean, Mahomes isn't having a lights-out year. Burrow clearly isn't. He's been on and off the field with injuries. Uh, Josh Allen, as we all know, is struggling, um, really really poorly struggling right now, and uh, Bills are 5-5. Five and five. I mean, you can point fingers at Tua. People are le- leaning at him. People are pointing at A.J. Brown. This is how, I'd say, average a quarterback play has been this year. So, yeah, I think C.J. Stroud is definitely in the MVP conversation. Texans are... 100% an eye-opening team right now. Uh, I mean, a lot of good young talent on the field and really a fun team to watch. I do think that it's not an easy win against the Cardinals. I actually think the Cardinals are going to win this game. Huh. Uh, I think Kyler Murray's back, and I think he's going to get into a little bit of a groove. Uh, I'm really excited for what the Cardinals team is going to be next year. Uh, I think they showed a lot with Josh Jobs at quarterback, and I think next year getting Kyler Murray back under the belt, assuming he's still there, they'll be an exciting team. But we're not going to talk about the Cardinals right now. But, um, yeah, no, definitely a shout-out, uh, well-deserved shout-out to C.J. Stroud. It'd be ridiculous if he wins. If he wins the MVP somehow, some way, it'd be the best rookie performance of all time. Absolutely. Uh, before we move on to the NBA, talking about the other side of that game and last night's game, the Cincinnati Bengals, who I picked to be in the Super Bowl before the season, are currently 500, fourth in the AFC North, and out of the playoff picture, and now uh, are facing a, an ongoing investigation about why the Bengals did not list Joe Burrow on the injury report uh, last night. Really weird injury in a crucial game against the Ravens where he just started throwing on the sideline and he couldn't throw the ball. His wrist just basically gave out on him, and he had to miss the rest of the game, and the Bengals went on to lose that game. Um, Super strange scenario. I've never really heard of it, but there was, I guess, a picture posted by the Bengals earlier in the week of him getting off a bus with something covering his hand. I don't know if that's about the wrist. I mean, really the whole point here is not about this investigation. It's about the fact that the Bengals are really struggling. You just trust they're going to get it together. I mean, you trust Joe Burrow. You trust Jamar Chase. You trust Zach Taylor and that team. But really what's been eye-opening for me up to now is the Bengals, which are probably a team I like rooting for and watching the most other than the Jets, have really been struggling. And it doesn't get much easier for them down the stretch. They have a crucial game against... Pittsburgh, they visit Jacksonville, they visit Kansas City, and then play the Browns again. So they're really going to have to turn it around. And Joe Burrow, who's been injured basically all season in different parts of his body, is going to have to figure a way to do so. So I'm definitely going to continue to watch this team. Hopefully this investigation is over shortly, unlike what's going on in Ann Arbor. 
Um, but that's a conversation for another time. But really, they have bigger, bigger fish to fry than the investigation they're facing right now. Hopefully, the wrist is nothing serious, and Joe Burrow can get his team ready for a must-win game at home against Pittsburgh, who's really just been another surprise team. The fact that they're um, six and three right now with Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's another thing I wanted to bring up on the podcast, talking about Joe Burrow and this team and their their apparent struggles right now. Obviously, letting C.J. Stroud come back and beat them at home was not a good look. Uh, any other things in the NFL you want to talk about before we move on to the NBA? Yeah, no, just going off the the Bengals. I think it's extremely realistic that they don't make the playoffs this year. Um, yeah, watching whatever was going on with Joe Burrow last night. It really didn't look good, and I think Zach Taylor came out and said it's a sprained wrist after the game, but, I mean, I think it looked a little bit worse than that. So, seeing how he looked last night, I don't see any chance in hell how he plays against the Steelers next week. And if that's the case, I don't see him beating the Steelers, even though I think the Steelers are the most mediocre team in NFL history right now. But I don't see him beating the Steelers, and that pushes the Steelers to 7-3. and three. You already have the Ravens at 8-3, and three, so they're not going to win the... AFC North at that rate, in my opinion. Even with the Browns at 6-3, and three too. I know they're without Deshaun Watson for the rest of the year. But, yeah, I think the Bengals are really looking at a difficult situation going forward. Um, yeah, I mean, like I just said, I this Joe Burrow injury, it, it's so weird, but it really did not look good at all. I know he was able to play for most of the game. But the clips you did see, I think he threw a flat to Joe Mixon and was literally hunched over on the ground grabbing his wrist. And then... You saw him on the sideline throwing a football, and just the ball slipped out of his hands. He pulled a shout out to Jason Falkenberry. He pulled a Falk and um, was immediately grabbing his wrist after. I mean, that does not look good at all, and that seems like something that's going to linger. So, I mean, it definitely puts his stats in jeopardy up for the rest of the year, and it puts their team st- uh, status and playoff hopes in jeopardy for the rest of the year. Like you said, fourth in the division, out of the playoff picture right now. I don't see it getting any easier. Absolutely. I think the Steelers and Ravens are going to run away with this division, and I think it's crazy to even say the Steelers are going to run away with the division. But they play the Browns this week with the backup quarterback, Bengals next week, like with the backup quarterback. Then they play the Cardinals at home. Then they play the Steelers at home, or the Patriots at home, and then they play the Colts again. So, yeah, I mean, wow, I didn't even know that. that that could be five straight wins, and all of a sudden look at the Steelers being 11-3, and they could likely once again be out uh, gained in yards in each of those games, and that would be probably the craziest story in NFL history. But, yeah, Steelers, medi- most mediocre team of all time, and Bengals, I don't see them getting in the playoffs. I think it's a really interesting situation going on over there. Yep. So, yeah, take it away. I mean, obviously the NBA season heating up, all sorts of storylines going on. Uh, James Harden in a new home, I think, since we last spoke. Yet to win in that new home. The Clippers, yeah. I believe, 0-5 with him. Um, I see that Westbrook's going to start coming off the bench for that team. Really a team that's trying to figure it out. That looks like a match made in heaven. I mean, if I had to draw you a fantasy team that would win a league two years ago in the league, I'd say throw Paul George, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Russell Westbrook on that team. And now they're in the in the, in the the serious trouble right now with James Harden. Draymond Green looking like a, a WWE wrestler as he has throughout his career. I mean, probably will go down as one of the cheaper, dirtier players of all time. Uh, f- suspended for five games after choking out Rudy Gobert. I mean, just an absolute bonanza. I don't know what yeah, was going yeah. on in that, but it, at, at, the, at the same time, how can we expect much more from Draymond Green? Um, all sorts of storylines. Chad, you want to pick one or two that you believe are are most noteworthy right now or anything you want to talk about? Yeah, no, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about. Um, 
I mean, saying on the Draymond Green stuff, I saw a really interesting tweet. I think it was by Clutch Points, so shout out Clutch Points on um, Twitter. Rudy Gobert made a comment. Here, here it is, actually. Rudy Gobert made a comment saying, every time Steph doesn't play, he, as in Draymond Green, doesn't want to play without his guy Steph, so he does anything he can to get ejected. Um, Draymond Green has had 11 ejections in the past four years, and seven of them have been when Steph wasn't on the court. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it that just makes Draymond look even worse. I think Draymond's just such a character, such a tool. I really don't hate the guy, but, like, I mean, it's just some of the stuff he does on the court that's just, like, what, what are you doing, man? You're, just, you're not making the sport. You're, you're ruining the sport. I don't want to say you're like fully ruining the sport, but I mean... You're not helping the sport. You have the clip of him falling on the ground and running full speed and tackling the guy on the other side of the court. Yeah. You have the clip of him against the Celtics getting tripped and then setting a screen by literally lunging and jumping into Marcus Smart. I mean... And then obviously the ejection and that basically cost him the finals against LeBron. Yeah, right? the you finals know? against LeBron. Um, I mean, there's Steven so Adams, much. Yeah, you can, you can't, you can. Steve Adams kicking to the the jewels. Yeah, I think against Austin Rivers, he jumped and closed out, and then yeah. Austin Rivers pump fakes. So, Draymond Green last resorted to a karate kick into his chest. Um, yeah, it, it, it's pathetic. It, it really ruins the game. Um, like you said with the Clippers. I really love the Clippers pre-Harden trade. I think I had them really high in my rankings when we I did my uh, we did our NBA power rankings or playoff picture, and yeah, now they're struggling and they're playing a red hot Rockets team tonight, which is going to be a really interesting game. Somehow, some way, the Clippers are favored by seven and a half points, and it's going to be really sad if the Clippers do find a way to win this game. They're going to look at Russell Westbrook being on the bench as the answer and the savior, and then Westbrook's not going to start for the rest of the season. So. I hope that's not the case for Westbrook, but yeah, a few stories I did want to talk about. First being in Milwaukee, um, yeah, this was the talk of the offseason. Dame wanted to get traded, wanted to go to the Heat, it seemed, and it seemed like it was inevitable that he's going to end up in Miami, playing with Jimmy Butler, playing with Bam, and all of a sudden we wake up to a tweet, and it is, Dame has moved to the Bucks, and I mean, I personally did not love the trade, because I thought Drew Holiday is such an underrated asset. Um, but yeah, Dame comes in, this is a new big deal in the NBA, and here they are in just eight games, Dame is averaging 23 points per game, which is funny saying 23 points per game is bad when, but that's the standard you hold Damian Lillard to, he's one of the greatest scoring point guards of all time, I'd say. He's averaging 23 points per game, four rebounds and five assists on 37% from the field and a whopping 27% from three. Um, he has a plus minus of minus 54 in those eight games. So... I know it's eight games, a small sample size, but that duo, that tandem that people had a lot of hope in, I had a lot of hope in because I do think that their games should just work and mesh so well together. It clearly isn't working. Um, the Bucks are still finding a way to win right now. They're 7-4, and four, I believe. But, I mean, what do, what do you think about that? I think it is a little too early to say that. It's a little too early to, to raise a flag and say, look, this isn't going to work. I, I still do believe in them. I still think that they have a really good chance of coming out of the East. But... I mean, it's clearly showing that they're not meshing too well right now. I think you think about that. Yeah, I'd say slow your roll here. Uh, the NBA, first of all, we know how the regular season works, especially early on. Uh, nothing You can't make too significant of claims on the league just because everything is sort of figuring itself out. Damian Lillard uh, arrived at this Milwaukee team pretty late uh, throughout the offseason as well um, and is clearly just trying to gel and mesh right now. I mean, they're still 7-4, and four, first in the division, and – What's, what's been uh, promising to me is that they can win games without both of them on the court. You know, Giannis was out against the Raptors, who are a pretty good team, and 
the Bucks won that game yeah. on the road by 16. Dame had 37 points and 13 assists, you know? So well, I think that goes into the concern is that Dame's still able to be himself and play so well when Giannis is off the court. But when it's on the court, he's trying to fit into a different role. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen Dame shoot 27% from three. He's a guy that... I go back to that game against the Nuggets they had in the playoffs. I think it was 2020. And yeah, it was the same. I mean, it looked like you couldn't pay the guy to miss a three. Yeah. So, I, mean, that's, yeah. I think that's where the concern is. I, mean, I understand the concern. I mean, you just have to trust. That these are two mature guys. These are two leaders. I think their their games are going to gel. I really do. I'm, I believe in them before this season, and I still do. Um, I think they're going to figure it out. I mean, they're two good caliber players, two uh, mature – like what's good about these two guys is they're very good personalities, you know. It's not like it's a, a James Harden or a Draymond Green or any sort of superstar where it's like butting heads, you know. I yeah. think these are two very good guys, great locker room guys, and I think Milwaukee's just going to still roll uh, throughout the season and end up a top two seed in the in the East. So I wouldn't be too worried as of yet. If we yeah. come back in a month and they're around 500 and struggling, we can definitely raise some eyebrows. Yeah, I, I think I think top three seed right now. Um, well, this will actually carry us into the next story. The Sixers are just yeah. super impressive. And, I mean, everyone looked at the sandal they had with James Harden and was – Kind of saying, I mean, how how is this going to affect them down the road? How are they going to be able to perform when they have this? I mean, I'm going to say a locker room cancer that's sitting out and not playing games for them right now. Um, but yeah, here they are. They're winning games, and I think that they have the number two duo in the NBA right now in Tyrese Maxey and um, Joel Embiid. They're averaging together just under 60 points per game, 16.5 rebounds, 12.5 assists, and have a combined plus 139 in um, plus-minus. Uh, Tyrese Maxey had a 50 ball the other day. I think Tyrese Maxey, I'd have to look at the list of every NBA guard in the league right now, but I think you could, I seriously believe you could argue he's a top-five guard in the NBA right now. I mean, he's a menace on defense. His speed is ridiculous. I think he's up there with, Probably the fastest player in the NBA besides De'Aaron Fox. He's a ridiculous knockdown shooter, really good core vision, really good playmaker. I mean, he just really does it all. And I feel like his size is a little – he's a little bit of a smaller guard, obviously, but that doesn't really show when he's on the court. He's just he's super impressive. He's a player I've always liked, player that's always been so fun to watch, even when he's tearing up the Nets. Um, I mean, I go back to the Nets uh, Sixers series last year when James Harden got kicked out of the game for uh, throwing an elbow into Royce O'Neal's balls. Um, and it was kind of like, please don't eject him, because if they eject Harden, Maxie's just going to go off. And that's exactly what happened. So I think this is the perfect opportunity for Maxi. Um, being able not to have full control of the team, because obviously it's Joel Embiid's team still, but just being able to ha- go into a bigger role and just perform. And that's exactly what he's doing. And it's just been so impressive. Yeah, man. Philly's been great. Um, I think the the greatest thing that could have happened to Tyrese Maxey, it could be a little too soon to say for this team, even though it's looking like it right now, but the greatest thing that could have happened to Tyrese Maxey is to take James Harden out of there and let him be the sole leading guard of this organization. Because Tyrese Maxey, I mean, you're rooting for him. He's a great guy as well. Um, He's putting up prime LeBron James numbers right now. And I'm not saying that lightly. I mean, Tyrese Maxey, when you look at his stats right now, he's averaging 28, 5, and 7. Like, that is MVP caliber stat line. Obviously, Joel Embiid is an MVP caliber player. Um, We've been told to trust the process over the years, but I'm saying that this is a process that's been sort of 
messed with by certain characters and certain players on the team. You know, obviously Ben Simmons drew a whole lot of unnecessary attention to this team and cost them in several ways. Don't get me wrong, he was a great player for them, but it really just ripped apart. And then they bring in James Harden, who I think was a total step in the wrong direction in terms of developing this gradual process team going on. Uh, but now it feels like they are a Philly tough team that can have an identity for the first time. Um, and Tyrese Maxey is looking like he can really step up and be a good two in this league. Yeah. Um, obviously, the question will be what's going to happen in the playoffs because that's all that really matters in this league. It's a, definitely a postseason league. Um, will Tyrese Maxey step up when everybody's playing their hardest, you know? But, yeah. I, I mean, why why not believe in that right now? I think he's really been impressive. Um, he's he's uh, making us overlook the whole Kelly Oubre car crash oh drama. Uh, which we will will save your ears about, but yeah, I, mean, I, I think we should talk about that after you, you get through. Sure, this. I mean, let's talk about it. I mean, did the guy get hit by a car or not? I mean, yeah. So for context, that's one of the cra- that's one of the craziest stories. Um, we're actually in the midst of another podcast that stays um, on my computer uh, on the bus <laughs> back from um, from our game against Dartmouth. It's just a podcast, just a few of us talking, just talking football, talking, just making jokes, asking questions. Um, I literally interrupt it with the most bizarre Woj bomb I've ever seen, saying that Kelly Oubre Jr. was struck by a car. It's not life-threatening injuries, but he will likely be out for some time. Reports come out later from, uh, I think it was from like the Philly Police Department or something like that, saying that they reviewed surveillance camera footage from where Kelly Oubre claimed he, there was a hit-and-run, and there's no evidence of a car crash at that scene. And then TMZ pulls the ultimate FBI, and it's raising so many flags about our privacy, which is not a, another um, topic we need to get into, but how TMZ was able to get Kelly Oubre's ring doorbell footage, which shows him walking into his apartment, it looks like, with uh, his bike, and saying to his wife or fiance, uh, I don't remember what it is, but saying that I just got hit by a car. So it went from look, he's got hit by a car. Then it went to, is he making this all up? Was he in the wrong place, wrong time, and doesn't want to admit to it? And now the story is back to, he got hit by a car. Instead of waiting there, he walked back home. Now he doesn't know where he got hit by a car, and now there's no one that's going to be uh, found guilty for this. So, I think it's one of the funniest, craziest stories, and it's just really unfortunate for Kelly Oubre because talk about someone that's been balling. Kelly Oubre has been balling this season. I mean. He's been everything the Sixers really needed, and he's, they're really lucky and beneficial to have picked him up on such a low contract. So, yeah, what's your thoughts on that story? I mean, that's it's bizarre. Yeah, I also not love that it's Kelly Oubre. I mean, you don't wish any of that on anybody, but the yeah. fact that it's a player like Kelly Oubre who was obviously given all sorts of off-court attention on every given night yeah. makes it that much funnier. Um I, I mean, it, it is bizarre. I think it's one of those stories you just have to sit back and let uh, the TMZ slash FBI continue to do its thing because right now we don't know, right? We don't really know what's going on. No. Um, but yeah, that's another interesting conspiracy theory like pocket. Like, I feel like the TMZ could TMZ could uncover a lot of real groundbreaking uh, scandals in the world. In yeah. the world, I think the U.S. government should hire TMZ. I think they could really. Just 
tell us a lot about what we need to yeah. do better. I mean, um, what can't TMZ do? I feel, I feel like this is a question for our other podcast. Yeah. But yeah, like, what can't TMZ do? It's, it's ridiculous. But, I mean, yeah. Like you said, a lot of off-the-court stuff with Kelly Oubre, which makes it sad to see. Or, I mean, you say don't wish upon anyone, but yeah, it's just crazy that happened to him. I mean, he's averaging 16.2 points per game right now, 50% from the field goals, just below 40% from three. I mean, he just was playing such a crucial role. Not even a third man, because they still have Tobias Harris, but, like, just such a crucial, just another great, I don't even want to say role player, because role players don't average 16 points per game. He was just such a key piece for this team right yeah. now. I don't think he's going to be out for too long, but it does look like he has some pretty rough injuries that he's going to have to recover from. But, I mean, <laughs> what a crazy story that is. Ridiculous. But before we leave the Sixers, I want to give my uh, top five duos in the league, see what you said, because yeah, I did say that Embiid and Maxi are number two. Um, I really think as the season goes on, they might move into number one, in my opinion, but I still have Jokic and Murray at number one just because they won the championship together. Um, I'm not going to say that Jokic fully carries Murray, but Jokic is by far still the best player in the league. He's still just continuing to do his thing while not loving to play the game of basketball and would much rather be at home watching horses. Down um, at Billy Bob's. Down at Billy Bob's with Jimmy Taylor. Um, number two, I'm beating Max, like I just said. Uh, three was a little bit of – it was in the air, um, but I went with Tatum and Brown. But, like, I don't want to say a duo, but they have Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, and Drew Holiday, and Derek White, not take away from him. He's had 27 points the other night. So, but uh, it's still Tatum and Brown. I mean, it's still a great duo. Um, four, I got Booker and KD. I mean, who knows if all, the three of them will all play a game together. I know Bradley Beal's doubtful for tonight now after they're supposed to be healthy. But, um, yeah, they're number four. I think KD is having a really underrated season right now. I think he's clearly in the MVP race. The numbers he's putting up are ridiculous. And he's playing games right now, which the Suns really need. Um, and then five, we got LeBron and A. Disney. Um, mostly LeBron. But, no, not to take away from AD. He had a really tough night against the Kings, only nine points. But he's... If you look at his stretch of games before that, he's been on a tear. So I think they're at number five. So those are my five duos. I think people you can consider, you got Doncic and Kyrie. I, I think Curry and Thompson are beyond gone from this conversation. I think you could just say Curry as a duo by himself because who knows what the hell Clay Thompson's doing. Um, I think you could argue maybe Sabonis and Fox would find a way in there. You could, If you want to argue, I mean, um, Jalen Brunson and... Oh, damn well. Stephulius Carandle. I'll argue. Have been picking it up. Um, yeah, there's a Look, bunch of I, other great duos, but I think that's a pretty clear top five, in my opinion. One more time. You said. Oh, and, I'll, and I also forgot Giannis and Dame, I but say. I don't have Giannis and Dame. I have Giannis and Dame at six right now. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. This this is this this list is ridiculous. I don't think they're working right now. I can't believe you have Tyrese, Maxi, and Joel Embiid as the number two. And I mean, if it's the top, over who? If it's the top five duos of the first ten games of the season, that's a different conversation. But the top five <laughs> duos in the league right now, I think it's just blasphemous. Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo are undoubtedly a better duo than Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid. Well, if you're going to say that, then you you make the same argument for Clay and Steph, but that's clearly not nah, the case. Clay right and now. Steph haven't really been or Clay hasn't been at his at his level in years. Um I mean LeBron and AD, I'll take them any day. I'll take Giannis and Dame. I'll take the guys in Denver. I mean, I'll take uh Devin Booker and Kevin Durant for crying out loud. I'll take uh, I probably I, I don't know if I could take Kyrie and uh, 
and Luca. I mean, they're they're having a really sneaky good season, but it's a, a lot behind Luca. I mean, Kyrie's not scoring as much, but he's still Kyrie Irving at the end of the day. You give him a one-on-one ISO in the fourth quarter, you're gonna get a bucket. So, I think they're. I put them at seven behind. Damon Giannis. But, I mean, in terms of talent, too, I mean, Kawhi and Paul George are definitely up there. But then you go, you look at the past they just haven't six really games, you can't argue it. That's what I'm saying. If you're saying the top ten duos of the of the first ten games of the season, you can put them up there. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to well, Yeah, because I think if you go but by Jalen talent. Brown and Tatum are definitely a better duo, too. Like, you know? Yeah, I mean, you could argue. I think if you go by talent, I mean, I think Paul George is one of the most talented players in the league, and then you have Kawhi Leonard. So I think if you're going off talent, then I think they got to be at least at three. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it really depends on how you're looking at it. But You can't be at the second-best duo in the league until you have something to show for it, like uh, NBA Finals appearance, for in my opinion. So then, okay, that's fair. In my opinion. But we'll see. You know, obviously these guys... I'm not giving Tatum and Brown credit with the NBA Finals. but um, Yeah, but they always beat Philly. They do always beat Philly, and Joel Embiid basically admitted it in his press conference the other night, yep. which is sad. But, yeah, last thing I want to talk about um, is the most anticipated rookie ever in NBA history, uh, Victor Wembanyama. It's kind of tough. We don't get to watch him play too much. I mean, he's had some televised games, but not too many. Uh, he's averaging 19 points, 9 rebounds, 2.5 blocks right now. Uh, whenever he is on, he's really fun to watch. I mean, watching him play against KD was just it was, it was crazy because KD looks like a man amongst kids out there. And then Lebanon's hitting a fadeaway over him, and it's like, what? And then KD, KD's hitting a fadeaway over him. And it, it just makes no sense that basketball's at this level right now. But I just want to hear your opinion. It could be quick. Is he exceeding expectations, underperforming, or doing what's been expected? Because I kind of look at this situation like a Trevor Lawrence being drafted situation where – the expectations are so high that Trevor Lawrence never really could have matched them in his first year, and it might take time to go. But then the day, if you look at it, when Benyama's, I think a top three in the de- in the depoy race right now. At the end of the day, he's averaging basically twenty and ten and two and a half blocks. So what do you think about this? He's a team leading scorer, team's leading rebounder. Dude, he's he's playing very well. I mean, like you said, his expectations are nothing like we've seen since a guy like LeBron James. So you can't really fully say that. You, uh, it's just unfair to compare him to his expectations. I think he's been a, a very great player so far, averaging 19 and 10. You know, that's that's really good for a rookie of any caliber. Yeah. You got to also take in the fact that the Spurs are just not really a great team at all. They, no. they, I think uh, Devin Vassell and, uh, and Johnson, Johnson. The, they got good players over there. But, I mean, yeah. it, looking at how stacked rosters are in the league, this is just a very much a, a below-average lineup. But I think – Looking at his first, what, 10, 12 games of the year, I think he's been very, very good. And it is clear that if you're doing this production in your first few games, I think he can have a heck of a career. I do still worry about his sustainability, you know, with how lean and brittle he is. We saw it happen to Chet Holmgren, who's also actually off to a great start. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I think Wembenyama's been playing well. I mean, is he the best player in the league, which a lot of idiots thought he would be in his first game? No, but he's definitely playing well. Yeah, no, I mean, no doubt. I think he is the number one just edging out over Chet Holmgren for the um, Offensive Rookie of the Year race. But, yeah, I mean, I I think he's playing great. I think he's – I mean, my only thing is I think it's a little – not weird, but, I mean, dude, you're 7'5". I think you should be getting more than nine rebounds a game, in my opinion. But at the end of the day, I don't want – you can't ask for too much from a rookie. He's such a young kid. He's going to be a – a force in the league for years. Yeah. So I, I think he's on top of the 
Yeah, we've never seen anything like Wembenyama before yeah. from a length perspective, shooting at his length, and as you mentioned, just a force on defense as well. I think, you know, he's only playing 30 minutes a night right now. They're going to have to figure out a way to build him up to slightly more than that, but in yeah. 30 minutes to put up the numbers he's putting up, absolutely incredible. Yeah, um, yeah. before we leave it, um, I just want to give a quick shout-out to Asar Thompson, um, guard slash forward, I guess you could say, for the Pistons. He's 6'6", and he's averaging 12 points and 10 rebounds a game, which is ridiculous. I think he's one of the... I think he has... I think he's just below Mitchell Robinson for the most offensive rebounds in the uh, Eastern Conference right now. So, I mean, big shout-out to him. I really didn't believe too much in him. His shooting's still not really showing. He's just shooting 15% from three. But, yeah, I mean, big shout-out to him. He's been playing great. He's an unreal defender. So, I'm really excited to see what's going to come out of there. I think Detroit has a fun young team to watch. Yeah, so. he's a stud. I think this is a fun league. I'm excited to watch all these young guys continue to develop. Um, yeah. It'll be awesome to watch going forward. We really, really appreciate every single one of you that listen. Go follow at QB2Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And we'll be back at you next week, hopefully. Well, we'll see with Thanksgiving. But the season's over starting tomorrow. It's been a hell of a year. Uh, a lot of fun playing this season, but look, we got a lot more, a lot more time on our hands. So we're really going to try and ramp up this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We're blessed. We love all of you. Thanks.